0: Hello and welcome, Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive youth athletes, survivors of abuse, and their families who are dealing with abusive authority figures. This podcast is for anyone who is fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. I really hope that you enjoy the contents of each episode, but remember, it is never a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who knows and understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes, head on over to my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. And one more thing, don't forget to rate and review the show and leave a comment. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into the show. The Supreme Court has been busy. There have been a number of decisions issued in June 2021 that impact student, I recently spoke about and did a podcast, go back and listen to that, about the Supreme Court decision in the case of the NCAA versus Alston. That is the discussion that had to do with the whether student athletes, Division One athletes can um, receive compensation, whether they are considered amateurs or whether we characterize them as professional athletes. Go back and listen to that. But there was another decision that I found really interesting that had to Do with the First Amendment rights of a high school student, a student athlete. In this case, it is a young lady by the name of Brandy Levy. She's a cheerleader in Pennsylvania and she attended the Mahoney, I hope I'm saying that right, area high school. And the case began at the district court level and it started several years ago in 2017. Briefly, let's touch on the facts so you understand what happened. So in 2017, when Brandy was 14 years old, she had tried out for the varsity cheerleading team and also for the softball team. Well, Brandy did not make it. And you can imagine her frustration, her disappointment, but Brandy, similar to So many young people today and adults, older people, all of us, instead of, you know, just turning to say in person to a friend, you know, I'm upset, I can't believe this happened, or talking to mom and dad in person, Brandy went onto social media. And again, this is. (laughs) <laughs> the majority of us. And she went onto a social media platform called Snapchat. The whole idea behind Snapchat is you can have images, text, photos, but within 24 hours, they are to disappear. For so many people, it gives you that false sense of, I can go onto this platform, I can rant, I can say what I want, and then completely gone in 24 hours. We know that anything you put online, please assume that it's there forever. That is always the warning that I tell my kids before you hit that publish that send button plan on your great grandkids seeing that that's kind of what I tell them so Brandy upon hearing that she didn't get what she wanted in reference to her cheerleading and the varsity team and the softball team Brandy engaged in a very different kind of chair and this chair is not one that was said at a game or most games but it was a chair that was laden with the f-bomb the f word. And Brandy sent this on, like I said, Snapchat, but she sent it to a restricted group of her friends. She sent, she had about 250 friends in this private group and she sent it. And in particular, the rant said, you know, F school, F softball, F cheer, F everything. She sends that out to her group, some of the girls in the group, girls or boys see it. One of the individuals in the group took a picture, took that picture, showed one of the parents, one of the parents happened to be one of their cheerleading coaches. Now this then started a whole buzz among, outside of the Snapchat group, outside of that friend group and it also spilled over into school. One of the algebra teachers was also a cheerleading coach. There was some discussion in that algebra class about the rant that, and the Snapchat that Brandy had published, it worked its way up to the school administration. And as a result, Brandy was suspended from sports. Now she apologized, her parents were notified, and the school was not having it they continued to say, you know, what she did was wrong. She has to be punished. She did this, publishing this and posting this. She did it using her own phone after school. I believe it happened at some convenience store. So she was not on school property. Brief aside, this whole word, you know, it got me curious as to the history behind how some words can be go from being innocuous words to having this power to be offensive and insulting and, you know, just beyond the norm, although I would say that, you know, the F-bomb is very much part of the norm, part of vernacular in uh, every culture, but I was looked up, and I wanted to get a brief history on just, you know, that word. And according to Melissa Moore, who is the writer of A Brief History of Swearing, she documents that the word dates back almost to a German origin, and it first appeared in the 16th century manuscripts to really mean something like to strike someone. Over time, the word then you're seeing it appear in different monk or religious manuscripts being written back and forth in monasteries. And then over time, it actually appeared in an Italian-English dictionary, and that was done just so individuals, just a writer population, could understand the meaning of the word. Now, at that point, it still hadn't taken on this offensive meaning. It wasn't until the... 16th century, that the word began to be transformed and be used as an insult to mean a very crude way of having sexual intercourse. And it's by the mid 19th century that's when individuals began to take offense to it and it had its negative connotations. So you see, it took several hundred years to make this transition from just an innocuous word to strike to, you know, to get to the point where an individual. This case now is in the Supreme Court because of these words, because of this statement. So you go from a word meaning nothing to the Supreme Court money, time being spent looking at this word, its usage, how it's used, when it's used. And I can assume and doing a little research, I saw that different reports had that Brandy and her family, you know, they suffered. Litigation is stressful. I don't care what side you're on and litigation that it works its way up to the Supreme Court can be very stressful. Not to mention at the time, you know, she was a minor. I think she's about 17 years old now. So still very young, but her name is appearing in newspapers, you know, talk about having an online presence. So what was the law? What was the analysis? What was the court looking at? In this case, the court was looking at the First Amendment right For free speech. And there had to be an analysis done using the First Amendment to determine if a violation had occurred, if Brandy's rights were violated, if she had a right to do or engage in the type of conduct that wound up getting her into this type of trouble. What the court always does, what courts do, is that they use the concept of precedent. And that simply means that the court will look back at prior decisions, very similar to what we all do when we're it could be reprimanding our kids or thinking thinking about, you know, future, what we're going to do. You, you look at the past, you see what has occurred. Did that work? How it works? Should it be used and applied in this situation? And that's exactly what the court did. The court looked back at a 1969 case of Tinker. And in that case, it basically said that students do, sometimes you like to think that a student, you know, 14 year olds, you're a child, you have no rights. You did something that, you know, that in relation to school and because you're in school, because we're here, we have authority over you. We, meaning, you know, educators, school officials, we have authority to make rules in the school that directly impact students, and we will tell you what, you know, rights you have. The court says as early as 1969, you know, hold up school officials. Basically, students do not shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gates. The courts have ruled that minors are entitled to a significant measure of First Amendment protection. So we have established with those statements and with that 1969 case that students do have rights under the First Amendment. But, But as with anything, when you're dealing with the law, there are exceptions to the rule. Some exceptions where students don't have that full First Amendment protection is if, for example, you have a student who is using lewd and vulgar speech during school time on school grounds. And you can see now that I am distinguishing and I'm highlighting during a school assembly, during a school event on school grounds. We already see that Brandy, I said before, her own phone, a private social media group off of school grounds after school hours. Another example where the court will restrict a student's First Amendment rights. Here's an example. A student on a class trip who promoted illegal drug use can't do that. You can't claim that I can talk about this on a class trip and, hey, I have a First Amendment right to do that. I I have that freedom the courts have said, no, you don't. Also, certain publications, certain utterances, writings done within a school newspaper may not have the full protection of the First Amendment. So the court is saying, on one hand, yes, students, you do have the ability to have protection under the First Amendment, but that protection is can be curtailed, and there are exceptions to that. Ultimately, the court ruled in favor Spoiler alert, the court did rule in favor of Brandy in saying that what she said, you know, F the school, F cheer, F softball, that that was protected under the first amendment. The court said, and I like the statement, America's public schools are nurseries of democracy. So that's where in the school settings, the public schools, that's where we're talking about this democracy and what is freedom of speech. And we don't want to unnecessarily curtail that. The court went on to say these vivid words, so nursery of democracy, that our public schools are the marketplace of ideas and that the court had to protect even some speeches or ideas that are unpopular. You had, in this instance, Justice Alito, who agreed with the majority, the end result, but for different reasons. Justice Thomas did not agree with the majority, and he wrote what we call a dissenting opinion. So what the court said when they applied the general rule that this student-athlete had First Amendment protection with exceptions, what they did, the kind of the analysis, just give you a little insight into that. So they said, putting aside Brandy's vulgar language, that you had to know that she was allowed to criticize the team to criticize the school and while the coaches while the school officials may not have liked the use of the f bomb that it was mere criticism they didn't rise to what we call fighting words the court said that the speech was had to be protected that it there was a strong need to protect it. They also said that the post that she made on Snapchat, it was outside of the school hours and it was in another location outside of the school. Remember before we gave the examples of the student who is in the assembly using Vulgar. So it's a school event during school hours. That's not what happened here. Distinguished from what happened with Brandy's case. And it was her own personal cell phone. You know, maybe she would have gotten into trouble if it was some type of school issue device. We're in a remote learning world maybe if she was on her Chromebook and during school hours in study hall, the court might've come to a different decision. Maybe if Brandy had specifically named, you know, F coach so-and-so. If I see them again, you know, I'm gonna do A, B, or C. There was no specific threat to anyone. She sent it to her own private group. It wasn't something that she, you know, wrote a piece in the school newspaper. So the school was not, you know, of course their position was just the opposite. The school said that they had an interest in teaching, you know, good manners and wanting to punish for this vulgar use of language. But the court disagreed with that. Brandy was speaking outside of school. The court said on her own time, you know. Does the school really have an interest to go beyond that bound of the school, go beyond the schoolyard? In some instances, yes. There are instances where, you know, there's bullying and that's what the school, and I know that some commentators that look at this, they're afraid of. They're afraid that, you know, this decision gives a okay to bullying that happens after school hours, But that's not what Brandy's statement. It wasn't directed at any child or another teacher. And so I think that if you have another instance or another case where someone is directly threatening someone or harassing someone, I don't think that this case will be distinguished. This case won't support that it's okay to bully. So there's not that worry. The court went on to say that Brandy spoke under circumstances where the school is not standing in the shoes of her parents parents. There is a concept where because you are dropping your kids off, because we have this compulsory school system in public schools where we turn our kids over for so many hours, so many days, and you're giving your kids, they're in the custody, they're in the control, the teachers have access to kids, that then the school actually is stepping into your shoes as parents. And that's why we're able to find, you know, school's district liable for certain acts or for things that happen on school grounds. But in this instance, the court found, no, the school is not stepping in the shoes of Brandy's parents right here. In fact, the court asked the question and said, do Brandy's parents, do they really think that the school should be controlling and regulating their daughter? Is that what they wanted? If their daughter is off of school grounds, I think it's called the Cocoa Hut, was the convenience store that she was at, on her own cell phone with her own friends, did they really want their child regulated in that manner? And the court agreed that no, that the school does not, in this case, stand in the shoes of the parents. When the school also argued that, well, wait a minute, what Brandy did was disruptive. It was disruptive to our role as edgy Indicators. And because of that, this speech should not be protected. But the court found that the evidence really showed the evidence at the, at the lower court. It found that Brandy's comments, it didn't amount to any significant school disruption. In fact, there was maybe five to 10 minutes of discussion about the Snapchat about the uh, post in an algebra class. And, you know, there were some cheerleaders and there were coaches that were upset because of that. But as far as disruption, they didn't find that it rose to the level where the the school could say, you know, we had to close down school. We had to bring in psychologists. There was no disruption to the school's process and their role as educators. So the court disagreed with the school in that sense. So in the end, the court, they affirmed or they agreed with the lower courts and Brandy's speech, her F-bomb, cheer, I'm calling it, her utterance was protected. Was this a case of just, you know, some kind of miffed, bitter coaches that didn't like to be criticized, maybe the girls that made it on the cheerleading team—they felt, you know, ostracized or picked on by Brandy, and they wanted to ensure that they couldn't be criticized. Is that really what was going on here? I don't know. You know, egos can be big. Egos can, egos can propel litigation on nothing alone than emotion, and it can wind its way through the court like it did here, all the way up to the Supreme Court. So we see that, in a way. I I think it's a little bit of ego. Could this have been resolved at the school level, you know, with an apology that Brandy tried to give? In my opinion, it could have. But we have this case and we have, you know, some rulings on the rights of student athletes to make certain statements. So it's important because it had an implication. It was important that the Supreme Court discuss and talk about the rights, the First Amendment rights of students. The court said that There's approximately 50 million public school students, and there's a concern that if we allow for Brandy, this is what the school district was saying, if we allow for Brandy's speech to go unpunished, if we rule in favor, that that's going to give, as I was saying before, the okay to bullying behavior disagreed with that, that that wasn't the situation here. So student athletes, I think at the end of the day, they are allowed, they're permitted under this, holding this decision to voice some frustration, disappointment about not making a team or a certain position on the team. So long as it's very narrow exceptions, so long as that frustration is voiced, you know, to a specific group that you intended to go to. And I'm going to go much, I'm going to be very cautious. Student athlete, you're frustrated, you're upset, talk in person, voice your frustrations in person, not online, not where it's going to live forever or be published because even if your case doesn't go to the Supreme Court and even if you don't, you know, mom and dad don't file a case, you know, that your rights were violated because you were frustrated, the time and the frustration, the embarrassment, you know, the just interruption in your daily life, is not worth it. If you're frustrated, talk to a close friend, talk to your parents, Don't publish it. Don't put it out there. We know that the one thing that saved Brandy or allowed the court to rule in her favor was that it was done on her own personal device, off of school grounds, after school hours. It was to a closed group of friends on her Snapchat. The other saving grace was that it was non-threatening and she did not disrupt school. It did not involve bullying either directly or indirectly to any individual. So that's some of the lessons learned. Like I said, I go even further by saying, voice it in person. Don't publish it. Snapchat, Facebook, keep it off. It lives there forever because there is the emotional toll that it will take on you. So that's kind of What went on in that case? We know students, student-athletes, you are afforded protections under the First Amendment, as I said, with exceptions. Brief update on Brandy. She is 18 years old now. She She graduated, and she's now attending, it's my understanding, Bloomsburg University, where she's majoring in accounting. Now, to give you an idea of the cost, not only we talked a little bit about the emotional toll of litigation, but the... The ACLU, which is a nonprofit organization, picked up her case and they do these types of First Amendment, um, different amendment litigation on behalf of individuals, but it is estimated that her defense in this case was well over $1 million. So if the family wanted to pursue this and they didn't have a nonprofit picking this up, it could cost you over a million dollars to litigate something like this. So at the end of the day, just say it directly in person to a friend, don't be threatening, voice your frustration. You know what, maybe even if you gotta type something, write it in in a letter or a diary and put it in your drawer that's also therapeutic and can get out that frustration. It was a pleasure talking to you about this, you know, Supreme Court case, the second Supreme Court case that's dealt with students and student athletes, decisions that have been rendered in this month. So that's always interesting to see how, you know, the Supreme Court deals with these cases. And coming into July 2021, we're going to focus on independence. It's Fourth of July, we celebrate, you know, America's independence. And I love that word, that word being independence that we'll talk about in July and what that looks like in so many different contexts. So be sure to tune in to July where we'll talk about independence and how it impacts student athletes, how it impacts all of us. Always a pleasure spending time with you and look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.